0: Welcome to Take 10 for Mental Health. We are conversations with inspiring people about how they manage their mental health. My name is Sophia Hatsis. I'm the host of the show and I get the privilege of bringing you these conversations every week. We speak to people from all walks of life, like Gotcha for Life founder Gus Warland. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I truly believe that vulnerability is a new way to lead. There's stuff that we do that is good and there's stuff that we just don't know what we're doing. It's nothing wrong with being human and explaining that to the people that you love. Episodes drop on Monday, so make sure you're subscribed and you're the first to know when they're available. Welcome to Take 10 for Mental Health. My name is Sophia. I'm the host of the show and we are conversations with inspiring people about how they manage their mental health. Today I am joined by masculinity coach, all-round legend, and guest of the past, Dylan Ruse. We're back for round two.
1: Round two. I hope people got value out of the first one. Let's give them some more today.
0: We're going to delve right into some value content, but it is, your life is looking very different to what it looks like the first time we spoke. When we did speak last time, you were contemplating or you were planning to move over to America, um, which has happened, but there has been an additional gift of um, meeting Cat, and now almost welcoming a baby into the world. So things are looking very different. How are you feeling about where you're at at the moment?
1: Yeah, feeling really good. I'm, I'm excited to be a father, very, very excited to be a father. And yeah i've been in the fire of life the last 9 or so months with lots of challenges and lots of uh, lots of up leveling so it's been great like i feel really good i'm i'm as i said ecstatic to be a dad any day now so due date's tomorrow but happen yeah, anytime in the next couple of weeks.
0: Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about healthy relationships, um, which is something you and I have talked a lot about off-air extensively. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about your dad, because your dad, Paul Ruse, was the coach of the Sydney Swans. And I didn't really get a chance to ask you this last time, because you mentioned that you had an environment of really positive masculinity around you. Um, but- I suppose what I wanted to know was did you feel pressure to be something because your dad was something so great? Mm. I
1: think the the pressure – uh, like thinking back, I'm not sure how much pressure was external and how much was just in my own mind being perceived as external pressure. I, I actually just finished a, a podcast with Mitchell Pertz, who is a, one of my best friends and his dad was Gary Pertz. So he played alongside my dad and they were best friends. And now we're the exact same age and we grew up. And we just had a whole podcast on, on identity and expectations. And I really think... It's universal for men, universal for boys to want to be men and to want to be successful and want to make their parents proud. Um, so I think it's a pretty universal experience for most young people that they have expectations of I need to make mum and dad proud, I need to perform well, I need to get A's and B's in school, like what it, however it manifests individually. And so for me, it's hard to separate the expectations of being an athlete from the external to the internal, like how much of it was driven internally and how much was driven externally. It's hard for me because it was so in, ingrained in my upbringing. It was so a part of just who I am and and what I was experiencing at the time. It's really hard to differentiate what was the outside pressure and what was the inside pressure. Um, and I think what Was really difficult for me, was more around my identity, more around who I am and and having dad as a name behind me, or um, and trying to figure out like who am I as I got older. But as a young person, it was very much played out as like people already knew who I was before they met me. You know, and that was, that's something that's pretty, you know, I'd say it's pretty unique and pretty rare was, oh, you're Dylan Roos. Oh, you must play football. Oh, you do this. Oh, what do you think about this? Oh, oh, oh." like they already had all the stories about me. Whereas the majority of kids, when you meet them, you're just meeting them for the first time. There's no stories attached to the kid. There's no expectations. There's nothing. And so that was challenging. But again, it was the norm for me. And so you very quickly developed um, an armor to it. And that's, that's really what it was, just coping mechanisms to it.
0: And I suppose just touching on that piece with identity, because I saw something that you posted on social media um, a little while ago, which was around how in high school and like for want of a better word, you were the man, like you did, you played the sports and you did the things and you had the famous dad and you got good grades. And, you know, I can imagine, you know, that bubble of, of school when you're ticking all these boxes and you're you know, achieving all these things, when you come outside of that, there would be like an emptiness or an understanding that, wow, I'm actually like a really small fish in a really massive pond. How did you deal with that identity crisis?
1: Women, like chicks. It was very quick transition for me. And I talk about the masks of masculinity in my work, where we have these ideas of what it means to be a man. And so growing up, it was like, I was the athlete Great. I was state football captain. Of my basketball team. Easy for me to feel good about myself, right? Rather than developing like a strong sense of self and a real sense of like who I am and what I stand for and like uh, real, true self-love based in that, it was more like this. Oh, great! I'm an athlete, and I do things so. Because I do these certain things, I deserve love. And that's for a lot of boys, that's what it is. It's like I have to do something in order to get love. Um, And so when I left high school, it happened so quickly for me because I left high school. I played my last season of AFL that year. So I was a 19-year-old. My girlfriend and I broke up. Midway through the year, like or towards the start of the year, like February, April, March, and I very quickly stepped out into the world and kind of out of my bubble a little bit of like high school friends and who I grew up with and those circles within my relationship of like and a two year relationship to like going to uni and all of a sudden being like oh like oh I'm good looking. Oh, I know how to talk. Oh, that's interesting. And, oh, when I do these certain things like sleep with women, like everyone celebrates that. Oh, okay. And so it was a really quick transition for me of like athlete to, to have sex with girls or be good with women. Um, And that's how I got my confidence. That's how I got my self-esteem and that's how I thought of myself as the man. The last six to nine months has been this massive unraveling of that identity because now when I don't feel good about myself... Like, or I'm having a stressful day. There aren't those usual outlets that I had cultivated of like, well, cool, you don't, you don't feel very good. Just go and hit up that girl and go and sleep with her, and great, you'll feel good about yourself for another 24 hours. No, 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 you don't have that. You've got a partner, you've got a kid on the way, you've just moved across the world where you don't have a support network, you don't have a lot of friends around you now what are you going to do when you feel like you're in pain? Now what are you going to do when you feel stressed? Now what are your coping mechanisms? And it's like, oh, that's big and it's it's really big. Um, so that's how I just immediately transitioned into like get girls. That was how I, I felt like the man.
0: Thank you for your honesty there. I think that's really interesting um, what you said about that unravelling of identity which is connected to external validation because what you were indicating there was there was nothing internal internally validating about that it was all about the people that surrounded you what that said about you and what that indicated to other people which was i'm attractive enough to pull hot girls therefore that is enough to sustain and satisfy me um which is a really interesting um which is a really interesting insight that you have and i wanted to talk to you a little bit about that unraveling because, and you and I spoke about this off air, um, but I do want to bring it on air because I think it's really important how that has recently raised some panic in you um, and some anxiety in you. Can you talk me through when that comes up and what sort of triggers those sensations in you and how you get through your panics, your moments of panic?
1: When I'm in the stress and I'm in the uh, thick of what I'm going through, it's really the head noise of like, you're not going to be a good enough father. You're not going to be a good enough partner. You're not going to be a good enough provider. Like, look, you know, I'm still developing my, I'm two years into working for myself. I pretty much work, you know, um, not paycheck to paycheck but only based on the amount of clients that I can bring in and if I don't bring in clients I don't eat and that was fine when it was just me and I could manage it but now it's like oh now my partner doesn't eat and oh now my son doesn't eat and so the added pressures and I and I talk about this a lot it was like I had I was a boy I was a boy for 27 years like I was I was just a boy and so actually being the man and actually stepping up so many people want to talk about it and they you know you ask any guy when did you become the man and they'll either be like i don't know and then you might be like well are you the man you're like yeah i'm a man i'm a man like yeah i am it's I I don't think there's a lot of men in the world and I'm speaking from like I don't think that I was a man and I think I'm still transitioning into manhood because I'm transitioning my values from boy values how much money can you make how many women can you sleep with how good are you at sport how much do you know about sport how many beers can you drink to like oh, can you provide for your family? Can you can you sit in the chaos of your partner when she's unraveling and she's crying? Do you have the ability to sit there and hold her in that? And that's really where the, the anxiety and the stress comes up is in those moments of doubt of like, fuck, maybe I don't have it together. Maybe I can't do this. And the self-doubt starts to creep in. And really what I've really focus on doing is sitting in it and figuring out what I can figure out or learning what I can learn in those moments rather than trying to numb myself and that's been really important and really helpful for me in my journey the last nine months is being able to sit in that and again everything happens for a reason and and I'm really grateful for everything that's happening in my life it's like it's by design that I'm out here on the north shore of Hawaii not surrounded by a lot of friends and support network because I'm able to really sit in the shit right before I'm about to become a father right before I'm about to level up again into this next stage or next chapter in my life and I have to sit in this shit I have to deal with this stuff I have to figure out why am I having a panic attack for the first time in my life why is that happening Oh, okay. It's happening, Dylan, because you're no longer sleeping with women. And that's where you got so much of the, the numbing and the validation and the feel good. And you don't have a great support network around you. You've got a new partner, you've got a kid on the way. So everything like you, I've stripped everything away. And it's like, can I sit in this? And See what comes up and learn from it and figure out the solution. Because if I don't do it now, it's going to happen in a year's time. And in a year's time, I'm going to have a one year old. And, you know, like, so it's everything's kind of coming, you know, perfectly timed, but it's hard to sit in and it's difficult. And we all got it. We all have our moments.
0: (laughs) Um, Infidelity is common in many relationships. It's common for women to do, it's common for men to do. and I know this is something that you wanted to raise here as well, but, like, why do people cheat, mm. do you
1: think? I think I think we cheat because we are, one, afraid of getting hurt. So, for me, mm. I got cheated on when I was 18 years old by my first girlfriend with my best friend. And so, everything post that was, oh, I... I don't want to experience that kind of pain again. And so entering into relationships where it's like, I really like this person and even down the track, I really love this person or I have a lot of love for this person. My way of protecting myself was to cheat and that protected me in a couple of ways. In that one, oh, you mustn't be the one because if you were the one, I wouldn't have done that okay, cool, so you're not the one. So now I've devalued the relationship. So even if we break up, I'm going to be okay because I know that you're not the one because I've gone and cheated. So I'm protecting myself there. And two, it came back to my relationship with myself, which was I really hated myself. I did not like who I was. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't like who I was, the belief system played out again and so I would go and cheat and I needed to feel like the man and I needed to... um like make myself feel better and third was the messaging around that being the man like it was so ego driven and so there was a couple of layers to it for me personally and so i mean to answer your question like why why do people cheat it's their inability to sit in vulnerability and and love ultimately that's why and again it has nothing to do with the other person it's not like men cheat because they don't like their partner or or whatever it's like no no no. they have an inability to sit in the vulnerability required in a relationship Mm. the vulnerability required to say I'm committed to one woman you know and for me again back to my story like I was really afraid of getting hurt and so you can't hurt me if I'm sleeping with other girls You can't. You just can't because I'm off doing my thing. Like, uh, so that was really a protective mechanism for me that played out in so many of my relationships. And so, like – Oftentimes it was the relationships that I most craved, that I most needed, that I most loved, that I was doing the most cheating in because I was so uncomfortable in that container and so uncomfortable being that vulnerable and so uncomfortable of like, oh fuck, like I really like you. Nope. I need to go over here and do something else so that I can prove to myself that
0: I'm not going to get hurt. And what do you see? I mean, you're in a beautiful relationship now with Kat and you guys are so in love, which is so beautiful to see. What is there? How do you develop a healthy relationship now with all of that in your past and all of that as a protective mechanism and all of your support has been stripped away? How what does a healthy relationship look like for you now?
1: Well, I mean, the way that I got to this, like with all that being my past, you know, big things like, well, what's stopping you from doing it again, or what's like, why, how, how have you broken away from the pattern, or how do you even know that you've broken away from the pattern? Um, And there's a couple parts that, which was I did a lot of work on myself and my relationship with myself on a more practical scale. Was I needed and I knew this for years. Like I've no, I knew this for like two or three years. Dylan, you got to step away from women altogether. Like you just have to. You can't. You can't be in your addiction and trying to heal your addiction or heal that past. Like you, you just can't do it. And so what I did was at, after the ayahuasca. And after meeting Kat, I got on a plane and went to LA and I said, all right, I'm doing six months, nothing. And I went completely cold turkey. And it obviously Kat then, you know, my life played out differently in the pregnancy and her, you know, so that, but that's kind of a different story. But for me, I went just shy of two months cold turkey. So what that looked like for the listeners was like, I wasn't checking out, like it was being so clean in my energy to the point where, so like on a. So I'll start bigger and get more detailed was so no sex, no dates, no kissing, um, no porn, no masturbating, um, and even on a day-to-day basis, like no checking out women. So it was like just being super clean in my energy. And over two months of, of... absolutely nothing and cutting myself off from it all and really sitting in it I was able to start to heal that relationship with women I was able to start to heal that internal stuff that I had going on in regards to how I treated women and then I entered the relationship with Kat came over after two months and now I'm in the container of a relationship, healing that stuff, you know, continuously.
0: Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being so vulnerable and honest. I think a lot of men will... Um you know, probably have a lot of soul searching maybe to do after this conversation, um, which is probably not a bad thing. So
1: thank you so much. Good to have another podcast under the belt with you.
0: Thank you for listening. Episodes drop every Monday morning and you can listen on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or on your favorite podcast app. Remember to take 10 and check on the man you love today.